Welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads for a refreshing pause and a bit of reflection. My name is Brandon, and I'm really glad you're here. I invite you to join me and my friends, Matt and Peter, for a friendly back porch conversation about prayer, Christian spirituality, faithful theology, and much more. So pull up a chair, grab a drink, and get comfortable as we start today's show. And when we're done, don't forget to visit us at signpostend.org to find out more about all that our ministry offers. Welcome to the Back Porch, everyone. Does the world feel like a scary place to you? Do you wonder what to do with your feelings of cynicism that everybody's out to get you? Well, then this episode is for you. It's kind of a free association episode. It was inspired by a listener question. And so we're we're just going to go all over the map and hopefully you will enjoy what we have to offer. We certainly enjoyed doing it. But on that note, we would love to hear your thoughts. We would love for you to send us your ideas for things we could talk about on the show, people we could interview. What are your questions that that would be cool for us to talk about. We can't promise that we will talk about all of them on the show. We're certainly not qualified to talk about everything, uh, but we can certainly talk about anything just shooting the bull. And so please send us your thoughts, send us your questions, send us your ideas at podcast at signpostin.org. That's our email. All your thoughts, your ideas, questions to podcast at signpostin.org. And Logan, I am talking to you. We want to hear from you. So that would be really cool. Anyway, thanks, and uh, here we go. It's good to see you, Peter. It's just you and me on the back porch today. Yeah, nice to be here, Brandon. We miss you, Matt. Yes, Matt. Next time around, we're going to bring you back on. So I'm interested in today's show. We're, we're doing a lot of new things. We're trying some new software to record in. We're hoping that goes well. The topic of today's show was suggested to us from a friend of mine on Facebook, and the one word, and the word was cynicism question mark and so jacob duvier if you're listening thank you for that and by the way you and i have not talked on the phone in a really long time so i don't know tag you have to call me because i'm mentioning you in the podcast (laughs) i don't know anyway thank you jacob i it was a really interesting sparking of a thought and peter it reminded me that I have actually written something about cynicism. We haven't talked about this on the show for a long time, but actually before Signpost N even got started, um, I had written a book called Changing the Conversation, How to Dance Instead of Fight in Everyday Conversation. And some of the early shows in this podcast, we go over different chapters on that. It's, it's a book from a different time in my life in some ways, but it's very much also a book about what we do here, which is listening and having conversations that are open and curious. And cynicism pops up in this context of listening because I identify it as one of the most dangerous enemies to being able to listen to other people. So I'm just going to read what I wrote. It's, it's just a couple p- paragraphs, and it's in the chapter talking about active listening and the skill of listening. And one of the things that comes out is curiosity is crucial in order to listen well we need to be curious about other people's stories. And so often in listening, we, instead of being curious about other another person's story, we tend to be thinking about what we're going to say next and what our story is. And we're sort of waiting for you to take a breath so that I can inject my, my story and what I'm thinking. 
And a stance of curiosity is the opposite of that. It's it's a much more slow, open, receptive stance that allows the story or the thought of another person to unfold. As I was thinking about what prevents us from being curious, cynicism came out as enemy number one. And here, here's what I said. Uh, I said, just reading, cynicism is being suspicious of everyone's motives. And it's not entirely unfounded. These days, it seems everybody's got an angle. The press, corporations, celebrities, politicians, and even churches, everybody. Nobody is talking straight. They all want me to buy something, do something, join something. My life feels like a constant series of spam messages and robocalls. Cynicism is how I protect myself against those who would take advantage of me. My hopes can't be dashed if I don't have any. My trust can't be abused if I don't trust anyone. Cynicism binds me in a protective isolation. Curiosity is the opposite of cynicism. Curiosity is optimistic about other people and events. It's open to the possibility of good in other people and in new experiences. Curiosity propels me towards other people and encourages me to see them in the best possible light. It's not naive, but neither is it afraid. It's impossible to be curious unless I am secure. Knowledge and experience of Jesus allows me to let go of cynicism and be curious. As Jesus proves himself selfless and loving, he restores my confidence in authority and truth. As I watch him trust and obey his Father, I learn to imitate his humility towards God's authority and total trust in his care. Christ provides the security I need to be curious. And I guess the thoughts that have been running through my head since I wrote that many, many years ago, all along the same lines, is noticing even, boy, that's that actually hasn't been that many years ago, maybe four or five years ago that that came out. But since then, I've noticed just increasing cynicism. You know, I think I myself feel it. We're afraid of everything. We're afraid of AI. We're afraid of the election year. We're afraid of the internet. And I don't, I don't know. I'm mean, Peter. This is. How, what's your experience with this? Like, let me give you this difference, and then throw it over your lap. I seem to remember a time in my life when exploring ideas and listening to other people didn't feel so dangerous. I didn't, you know, I didn't pick up a book and immediately start questioning who, what's his perspective, what's his motive, what's going on behind this book. I didn't turn on the TV or, you know, watch a YouTube video or whatever and immediately start questioning, is this a good motive? Is this a bad motive? I, I, I was just interested in it. It felt freer. And that may be a product of me being younger, but I also think it's a product of, I think our, our time has changed. What's your thoughts on that? It's interesting because I think that in recent years, my own growth as a Christian, as, as a person, has been away from cynicism. Mm. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I feel like as a, a younger kid, I was more um, perhaps extreme in the sense that I thought that anything that was incorrect could, you know, in the slightest margin could really hurt me and affect me. And I was terrified of being wrong, mm. you know, and it was like, 
I think that's sort of how I started out with this fear-based wanting to be right, needing to be right to be, feel secure, um, wanting to have the rules all laid out. And anyone that disagreed, I could know they're wrong because, of course, here's the rules, got it. So I think that my journey towards faith, increasing faith in Jesus has led me away from that sort of uh, fearful mentality towards a place of, like you were mentioning as you were writing, that the curiosity. I think that's been the goal, you know? Mm-hmm. To trust Jesus enough to be okay with, I am not sure of the answers or something like that. So I don't know. I find that to be maybe a flip sense, just different seasons of life. But for me, I probably start out more in that sense of cynicism. And it's been that upward struggle and growth towards a place of curiosity. Yeah, something you said there really struck a chord with me. I was like, and and I think that's exactly right. It's like, gosh, how did you say it? Things don't have to be certain. You don't have to know them exactly, right? You can be more open mm-hmm. and more fuzzy. Yeah, I feel like I've been through a couple different times of life where maybe the pendulum is swung or the you know I've been up or down on this on this. But the thing that seems to be what makes it go up and down is the fear. In times of fear, when I feel threatened when I feel insecure, then I'm, I'm, it's, it's probably, it's probably biological. It's like, you know, you're, you get in the threat mode (laughs) and then everything is perceived as a threat, right? Like you look around the whole world and everything looks like a threat. And there's some sense in which that's probably just a survival instinct. If you're in the woods and you hear a, a noise that doesn't sound safe, well, then you're on high alert and every leaf that falls is a threat. You know, I mean, that's how it feels. And that's probably good. It keeps you alive. And you're in that fight or flight mode. When you're in that threat mode, then everything feels threat- threatening. Yeah. And yes. the, the difference that, you know, what you were talking about with as you've gotten to know Jesus better, that's what I was, you know, saying at the end there of that writing. I'm experiencing that different ways, different times of my life. When I started this ministry and start embarked on the process of learning to doing the spiritual direction apprenticeship, which I was learning how to be a spiritual director, I had a sense of freedom in that time of my life. It felt very exploratory. And I was, I felt safe to read things that maybe would have otherwise felt dangerous in other parts of my life. So I'm resonating with that feeling. I think what's what's strange to me about cynicism is that it's not entirely wrong. I, you know, you you mentioned that in your writing yeah. as you were reading that, and I jotted a note down because I, I really appreciated that fact that you said cynicism isn't entirely unfounded. Right. Right? We have a lot of good reasons to be suspicious or to doubt somebody's sincerity, and I think that's really important to acknowledge. You're not holding up this perspective of like uh, ignorance and just dumb, blind, hey, everyone's great and they've got my best interests at heart. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I, yes, I made a note of that, but you're going to say something there and I just... No, that, I was just noting that. It's interesting to me that cynicism, yeah, there, there are a lot of people out there to get you. Like uh, that's something I think is, boy, this is complicated in my own head because so much of this is really fresh. <laughs> One of the kinds of cynicism that I am experiencing in this moment of my life, so cynicism defined as distrusting the motives of the 
of the other person or institution or whatever. Cynicism says, you're talking to me and saying one thing, but your reasons for doing it are not in my best interest. They're bad. One of the ways I'm experiencing that is exactly in the discussion about anything in our culture. Like, I feel like there's this spirit of ill will just in the culture. You can't have a conversation freely and curious and open really anywhere it feels like. You're all, I'm always scared that the person that I would have that conversation with is just sort of laying in wait to trap me so that I, you know, like, oh, you're not, you're, oh, you believe that idea? Well, that's, you're that kind of person. Oh, you believe that idea? Then, you know, and everybody is demanding, it, this is just my feeling, right? Everybody is demanding that I espouse the correct ideas or I'm the enemy. So there's general generalized anxiety disorder, right? There's generalized depression. Maybe there's such a thing as generalized cynicism. It's not directed at an individual person or institution. It's just the whole place is out to get me. <laughs> the whole system yeah. is out to get me. Uh, yeah, that resonates for me. And I know that, you know, you and I, Brandon and Rachel around the office, we've been trying to or we've been expressing in a way how we want as a ministry to be a place that points to good things, you know, and this is kind of some of why is because we always feel like there's 10 billion voices telling us you're wrong, I'm right, this, that, don't trust them, do this. And it's like, oh, it's just maddening. And yeah, it just breeds some cynicism and not a whole lot of productive progress or action or much of anything other than fear, to be honest. Yeah. And, and that's that's sort of... I'm hearing that as like, yeah, that's what we that's what we want to provide the other half of, you know, a, yeah. a place where we say, you know, what's really wonderful and good, you know, here like this good food, friends, hospitality, you know, learning to consent to Jesus's presence with us. Yeah. It's like, hmm. yeah. You know, Peter, this we talked about this the other day about the concept of rest. And I was kind of questioning how we say that, right? Like, do we do we tell people is is what we're doing out going out and saying to people hey stop and rest stop and take a break and and I was sort of there's something about me that's starting to say I think that's not quite the way I want to say it because it implies or or it could be read as a command that I have to really do more to stop right like I have to work harder to stop and rest and I just, I'm always aware of that. I'm always aware of how our our mindset that we have to do, it, the real problem is I'm not doing enough, is always just at work. So you can even say to somebody, hey, what you need to do is stop doing. And what you hear is, oh, I got to do more. And so what you're saying there is exactly what I, it's spurring this on. Like a different way to say that is not, okay, stop and take a break or, you know, slow down and rest. A different way to say that is inviting you to come into this place where you can rest because there's not the requirements. I don't know how to do it very good, well yet, but I desperately want to be the kind of person around whom more often than not people feel freedom, feel secure to express what they are and feel even if I disagree with them, 
right? The opposite of cynicism is not that we all say everybody's right, or the op- opposite of being ill-willed towards somebody is not that you agree with everything they say. It's just that even if you disagree with them, you still have goodwill for them. I don't know that that probably didn't that probably wasn't very logical, but like I'm, it's. This is a free association mm-hmm. episode, apparently, so it's safe to free associate, Peter. <laughs> yeah, something that's popping up, you know, just as we're talking, it's important to acknowledge that cynicism isn't unfounded. In fact, as Christians, most of what we believe about human nature would, you know, say, yeah, we as humans, whether consciously or unconsciously, uh, have an angle. We're out We're out to look out for ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so... I think that, in a sense, cynicism goes hand in hand with that. But then we're called, on the other side of the coin, so to speak, we're called to a life of faith, one of radical hope, and a God that raises people from the dead. Like there's, I don't know, the image of death and life and resurrection is coming to mind here just because it's like, I don't know, in some ways God is counterintuitive. Like, you know, death is wrong and bad and everything about it sucks. But in some way, it's through death that we'd experience resurrection life. Mm-hmm. Similarly, this is a weird connection, so I'm, I apologize. Free association episode. Free association. Right. <laughs> yeah, free association. <laughs> but similarly, like cynicism and acknowledging the not-so-pleasant side of our human nature and the world that we live in is true. But there, I guess it's only in light of cynicism that we can have meaningful hope if that makes sense and and sort of a a sense that even in the midst of this uh, the equation is never i never have the full equation written out i i know a good portion and i know human beings i know myself we can well wow we get off track we can harbor ill will we can be um, self-centered and double-minded but but god right and Mm -hmm. like there's this sense that in the christian life we never have the complete equation we can we can go in with some reasonable certainty and some shrewdness about the way humans operate, but it's like an act of faith to leave the door open for God to mm, enter the equation mm-hmm. where it doesn't go, mm, you I see you acting this way. This is this is the only thing it could be and how and this is how it's gonna end. And like we sort of jump to the the end. And I don't think that is helpful. And and I think that there's a way that Jesus invites us to say, yeah, of course humans are like that. And, and you, you yourself are like that. And, but that's know, not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's, I, that's what's really making me, like my brain light up. What you're saying is go back and listen to our episode on low, with David Zoll on low anthropology. Yes. Yes, we recognize humans are limited. We recognize that we're conflicted. We're a mixed bag of all kinds of motives and desires, many of them selfish and evil, and we're self-centered. So we can rightly expect, you know, we shouldn't be surprised, in other words, that there are people in the world that have ill will towards us. We shouldn't be surprised. The fact that you can't trust everybody is a reality. Yep, we know that. But what I hear you saying is, but there's hope (laughs) because Mm -hmm. God does intervene. God does act in this time and space. And so there is, it's like it leaves the, it's not only it leaves the door open, it's that we 
at the same time that we expect there to be bad in the world, I think we as Christians have sometimes failed to recognize that we also expect there to be good. You know, we we can and should expect there to be God in this world as well. I mean, <laughs> you can read, yeah. it occurs to me now and free association episodes. So if I say crazy things and uh, by the way, I've said crazy things in the past and no one has sent me an angry email and I'm highly disappointed by that. So if you're listening, yeah, on, guys, if you're listening and disagree with me, send me an angry email, please. Well, or, or at least a well. disagreeing email. <laughs> Um, I'll be very cynical when you send me an angry email. No, but here's the thought that you could read scripture as the story of how bad humans are. And the takeaway is humans are horrible. We're sinful. Mm. Bad things are going to always happen. It's going to get worse. Hell in a handbasket. And I would agree with you. (laughs) Right? I would agree that we're not going to find utopia Humans are not going to get better and better and better and bring about heaven on earth. Right. But if that's all I ever say, then I miss the actual plot line of scripture, which is the continual, recurring, never-ending, ceaseless insertion of God inserting himself into that story and bringing about good and doing good things right to the point of Christ himself being the main, you know, now he, now he's united humanity to the divinity. Holy mackerel, you know I mean? Literally, holy God has inserted himself fully into this time and space reality. So it's not only not, it's not only not hopeless, it's the story of God is good comes about. He keeps doing good. Yeah. So we should expect good. Not again, not heaven on earth in this like evolutionary sense, you know, like it's just the natural progress of humanity. But mm-hmm. we certainly can depend on God doing good. Right. And I think that might even be something for us with other humans. Like we can watch God do good through and in them. Mm-hmm. Maybe the corollary or the way to say it is, I shouldn't be surprised when people who appear to be on the outside to be good fail and do a lot of sin, right? There's a lot of scandals in the Christian world. But maybe it's equally true to say I shouldn't be surprised when people who appear not to be good do actually do do good because of God's work, because of God's love. I mean, there's a lot of, re- you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did I take that the same way you were going with it? I, I think so. Yeah. It's sort of like, I think the freedom, the ability to admit, acknowledge, and embrace the fact that we don't have the whole picture. We've got some strong pieces. We kind of, you know, we're not totally ignorant of what humans are like. But there is the other side where we see a loving, caring, intervening God who is constantly, you know, like you said, injecting himself in the st- into the story of human tragedy to do incredible things, wonderful things. And that so so yes, there's some there's a balance. Cynicism mm. doesn't tell us the whole story. Mm-hmm. There's hope there, hope in God, faith in God, trust that he is actually active and can and will do good things in and for us. Mm. And that sort of brings us to a place of 
I don't know, does that bring us to the place of curiosity, Brandon? Or at least making that possible? I mean, I think so. I think that's the the raised garden bed in which the flower of curiosity can grow, I think is that confidence that God is not only, not only has goodwill for us, but that he's active on it. He's not just wishing us good thoughts. He's actually working good. Mm-hmm. And so I have security to be curious about the future, to be curious about you, to be open to seeing what might happen. I, it's not naive, like I said. It, it could be. It could go really badly. <laughs> but the story that God has given us is that no matter how bad it goes, he's still, in the bigger picture, there's good good happening. Even the worst is being worked for good in some, you know, cosmic, divine timeline story way. Yeah, I mean, that that's what's interesting. It strikes me that it's like... Mm-hmm. It's, I've used this before and I've thought about this before. It's like reading a story. It's like reading a novel or watching a movie. I've had this experience actually, watching like an action movie or a serious, you know, war movie or something. Not a war movie because those are the true stories usually. Like an action movie where the main character gets into serious problems and he's about, you're like, you can't tell how he's going to get out of this, this situation. It looks to all reason that he's going to die but you know he's the main character and you're only an hour in the guy has to survive right like you know that's going to happen which is what that does to me is i've is curiosity Mm. what i wonder is this is a how is the writer of this story going to get him out of this predicament and it strikes me that might be the perfect analogy right no matter how bad it looks here and now we know we know that God is telling a story that is good in the end. And there's some, mm. you know, there's some stuff to talk about there, but that opens up some space for curiosity. How's God going to work this one out? Right. I I think that's that's really important and helpful. I like that analogy. I I believe I'm attributing this correctly when I say that John Eldridge uh, the author, Wild at Heart, mm-hmm. you've ever heard yep. of those books and all that. But in one of his books, he was talking about the why question. You know, when when life is hard, difficult, when we experience pain that we've brought on ourselves or other whatever, it's so easy to go, why is this happening, God? And um, he said that, you know, just shift that question a little bit and say, what are you showing me here, God? And it strikes me now that that question is sort of an underlying foundational curiosity. And and he he elaborated much more than I'm able to recall now. But sort of about, yeah, our our story, God's story in our lives is one of always continual work. He's never giving up on us. You know, like Mm -hmm. Father Rollheiser said, the GPS always keeps rerouting. He's (laughs) never going to give up on us and say, sorry, no... No further directions. You're on your own. Right. And, and so the question, whatever our situation is, what are, you, what are you showing me here? What do you have for me here? Is always a valid question because we can trust that he's the type of God that never throws his hands up and says, ah, you're done. I, you've really screwed the pooch this time and, and there is nothing here. He's always got something. 
Um, and he's always working for our good. Yeah. And I, like, I don't, I don't know. That seems like so, you know, I could write that out on paper and it makes sense, but it's sort of like, how do you get to that place where you actually believe that or could, you know, I, I don't know. How do we, I had to, I had a conversation recently mm. about this and it brought two things up and I'll see if I can remember both. But the first one was to say that God is always working for our good. I think in a very current moment of time within a very kind of evangelical context, my experience has been most people think of, think of that as being some sort of promise of comfort and protection in this life. Right? Like as if as if it's a guarantee that you'll have enough money to pay your bills, that you'll never go through, you know, you your your medical stuff will be fine, etc. So it's almost like we we know it's not true, but we read it like it's a promise of com- a comfortable life. And so hmm. the crises happen when that's not what it means. It doesn't give you a com- you know, you can't pay the bills. Someone dies horrible relation whatever and i confess to you well then god it can't be true god doesn't have goodwill for me because he's not coming through on his promise to work all things for good and so the first one is that is like what does it mean when god says he's going to work all things for good and one of i think the older christians had a perspective on this probably because they lived in much more uncertain physical circumstances, mm. that that the good, that the good that is being given in all of us and worked in all of us for sure constantly is, to put one word to it is faith, but to put longer definition to that, it's seeing the goodness of God with my own spiritual eyes. And that can be mm. given to me even in the midst of great suffering and horror. Because I can still experience with like the spiritual side of me, that I can still, through faith, see God giving me more faith, giving me more dependence on him, confirming and securing my, my connection with him. And I think some folks will resonate with that really deeply. They'll know what I'm mm. talking about when they say, yeah, I went through the worst thing of my life but felt and saw and am now closer to God than ever before. Sorry, there's a lot of words here, but to me, this is the answer to that age-old question about the book of Job, right? You read the book of Job and Job loses all of his children at the beginning. They all get, they all die. And then at the end of Job, it's just kind of thrown in as the list. You know, he gets twice as many goats. He gets twice as many sheep. He gets twice as many children, etc. And the age-old question is like, that doesn't make up for it. You know, children aren't, he he lost his children. You can't be like, oh, now you have twice as many children. Aren't Everything's fine. You know, that's not justice. The answer to that question is, yeah, that's not what that's saying. That's not the point. You know, it's like, it's like a figurative way of saying there is restitution and there is connection with God that's deeper. You know, the, the grief over having lost his children is never going to go away. The joy of having new children is never going to replace that grief and make that, you know, like he's, that's, that's not going to happen. But Job's 
Job got, in a sense, the beatific vision, the, the heavenly vision of God, and has walked away from this experience with his children, his new children, having a connection with God like never before, trusting God in a way that he never has before. The point wasn't that he got more children. The point is that he got more God. It's it's even weirdly in the releasing of his of the stuff that he lost to God's good plan, even though he doesn't understand it. That was the move of faith that grants him the beatific vision. That's the move where he's able to see God is good. It, or maybe even better, see with his spiritual eyes, right? See through experiential knowledge that God is good. So for some reason, the way my brain is, is like, it's ping-ponging around a lot of what we're talking about, but... Most recently, it's like, okay, I don't think what makes most of us cynical, I had to guess, and this is for me personally, the things that make me cynical about life rarely start as external things. Mm. They are my personal problems that I don't feel like I have hope for. Yeah. And... And that's where this, the cynicism of life sucks and nothing's going to change actually starts with me. Hmm. And, and, and I think where I'm connecting this sort of is like, I don't know, that maybe this doesn't connect. Like Job, Job needed that personal sort of connection with God. And I think that the way that we actually get that, for me personally, has not been that God fixes all the external problems around me. And then I go, wow, my cynicism, it's gone. The world is good. Like, you know, I see you changing things and things are getting better. It's been on the personal level of, oh, my sin isn't final. My sin doesn't condemn me. Like, finally, like, God has authority there. God brings hope into my personal life in a way that allows me to believe it in a small way for the world or for somebody else or when I meet and, or encounter a situation that would rightly breed some cynicism or, or despair, I can think, well, gosh, he's, he's done a lot in my life. Maybe, you know, he, he's, he can be up to good here too. So this is taken in a separate direction and probably not connected. I don't think but. so. I think that's... I, that's the answer to our questioning about how could God's plan be good is not going to be a logic of here's the things he's doing. I can, you know, he's never going to come and tell us, here's all the steps now you can trust and you can see the end. Because again, I think that's kind of what you're saying and what I've been saying. We're kind of dancing around it, but this idea that what I really want is comfortable life, never suffer, never have a bad thing happen to me externally. What, what the answer that God gives us, what Jesus gives us, is, is himself, is the character of himself. My faith is not in God's plan, per se, because I don't know his plan. My faith, my trust, mm-hmm. my confidence, my security is in his person, his character, what he's like. Mm-hmm. And God does actually grant us, both in his word hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of his character, what he's actually like, his goodness. That's back to what we were saying, right? The story of scripture is actually, well, it's the psalm, you know, your loving kindness endures forever. 
your loving kindness endures forever. Your loving, I mean, and interspersed is all the things that he did, all these acts of God. When he did this, your loving kindness endures forever. <laughs> rescued Egypt or yeah. rescued Israel out of Egypt. His loving kindness endures forever. That's the actual story of scripture. Mm. So it's not the answer. You know, we go to God and say, the world looks terrible. Everybody looks dangerous. Everything looks bad. What's your plan, man? How are you going to fix it? That doesn't, we don't get that answer. Jesus really just says, trust me. Mm -hmm. So it is a blind leap of faith on the plan. I have to blindly trust because I can't see the plan that the plan is good, that the plan will wind up in a good place. But it's not a blind leap of faith to trust that the plan maker is good. I have a ton of evidence that he's a good plan maker. <laughs> and maybe that's just part of it. You know, part of it is we, we want to know all the details of the plan and yeah, you're, you're just asked to blindly trust that the plan is good, but not blindly, mm -hmm. you know, not, not asked. We're not asked to blindly trust that the plan maker. Jesus is good. Which may be full circle because, you know, again, free free association episodes. So we're going all over the place. But full circle back to, like, cynicism about people and conversation and listening. Maybe there's that opening door that you were talking about. You know, wise as a serpent, I go into every conversation realizing I'm talking to a limited, conflicted, selfish person. Innocently and with goodwill like a dove... I'm always open to God's good work in you. I'm always open to you being, you know, the, the path that God has you on. Ha you've walked a long ways and have changed a lot as a person. You know, God has brought you, brought you to a place where, so I'm never surprised that you do something selfish, but I'm not, I'm also never surprised that you do something good because I know that God is at work and I, I don't know what he's doing, but I know that he is good and has goodwill towards you. So I could be curious about it. And I have certainty that he's goodwill towards me, even if you do something bad. So I could be curious there too, because it can't, you know, you can't actually, you can't actually stop God from doing his goodwill for me. Right. The, the piece that I wanted to circle back to was this idea that our security in Jesus allows us to then have that curiosity with other people. And there's this sense, and I believe that this this phrasing this idea is something I'm pulling from Jacques Philippe's Interior Freedom. But he, he says the words, nobody can actually harm you, yeah. or something to that effect. He yeah. says, no one can actually do you a real harm, yeah. because nobody has the power to sever, to interrupt, to intrude into your relationship with God, or to stop him from, from being with you, despite the harshest, horriblest of circumstances. Um, does that fit in? That seems like what you were just saying. I think saying that's there. exactly right. Yeah. I learned that from Luther's little, he's got a little pamphlet. goes by various titles, On the Freedom of a Christian or On Christian Liberty. And in that he poses similarly to On the Interior Freedom. There's sort of a paradox. And the paradox is, you know, he states it like a formal logic paradox, essentially, that the Christian is perfectly free, subject to none, but also... Uh, perfectly a servant subject to all and that's how do these how could this both of these be true and when he gets to the the perfect freedom part is because of grace because of the gospel all that you know it's the there is no condemnation for those who are in christ 
And so he ends up talking about even sin and evil can only serve a Christian. Because Mm. as a beloved of Christ, all it can do is bring us closer to him. Even my own sin, right? I mean, my own sin becomes an opportunity Mm. for forgiveness, experience of God's love becomes, you know, even all the evil in the world, all the suffering in the world, all it does to me is bring me closer to trusting Jesus, you know, and it's, so we're perfectly free. Nothing can harm us. It all serves us. Suffering, evil, all serves to make us trust Jesus more, which is closer to the heart of God, deeper into the knowledge of God, more united with him. That's kind of crazy Yeah, to say that. Yeah. From where I sit, it's, it, it also is a paradox, but it's only crazy to say it if, you, if we don't think that God is actually for us, right? Mm-hmm. If we think there's a big if in front of if God is for us, like, because if that's the same sentence, well, if God is for us, then yes. But as long as that's a question, <laughs> yeah. But if it's a statement, God is for you, a declaration, a decree even from the king himself that's irrevocable. Reminds me actually, Peter, of this podcast will come out well after this, but this coming Sunday, the epistle reading for the Sunday is from Romans 11, and it actually has the phrase, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, you know, Mm. in reference to his promises to the Israelite people. And then by extension, in reference to his promises in Christ to all people. Is, is that, in a sense, then, a short way of answering our own cynical voices as they crop up? Even, even when I was writing you know, this book and talking about cynicism and curiosity, even then I knew pretty clearly that the answer to cynicism is not a thought or an insight— but an ongoing experience. Cynicism, my distrust and fear of the world and everything out there is directly related to my experience with the goodness of God. Meaning, I'm less cynical the more I have experienced and grown in trust that God is good. And faith is a gift, right? It's Faith is gifted to me. Trust grows as I experience the trustworthiness of the thing being trusted or the person being trusted. So trust is not Mm -hmm. something I choose to grow. I don't be like, I am going to trust you more. That rarely ever works because it's just, you know, there's no evidence. There's no experience for it. But as I experience the goodness and the trustworthiness of the thing, then trust grows. So I think those two things are like, you know, hydraulic related. (laughs) The more... You know, or maybe it's the other way around. The more cynicism I have, it's I have very little experience being able to trust you or God or anybody. The more I have ability to trust you and other people and eventually even really God, the less cynicism I have because I've experienced the possibility of good. So yes, I mean, yes, depending on it, but it's like if I have a choice in it, the the choice I think I have is the choice to attend or not. It's less a matter of choosing to trust him more, and it's more a matter of attending to his trustworthiness, noticing it more often. And the more I'm 
more my mind is f- focused on him and his trustworthiness, the less cynicism I can have because I feel more secure. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I totally get into the trap of trying to find the thought, the insight that's going to bring it home, that's going to make it happen. Boom. All right. Like, we've done it. And, and especially, you know, on this platform as a podcast, you know, thinking of the listeners, it's like, oh, I, let's give them like, a, I get it. Yeah. Like, I, right. I want it. I want it to strike home. I want I want things to, to click and and for it all to make perfect sense. And and that's sort of taking the step back into trying to find the perfect answer rather than the relationship and the experience of God. You know, it strikes me that it's kind of like, maybe there's something here to delve into in a future episode, but the go back, you know, I want to encourage listeners to go back and listen to the episode with Father Rollheiser about the domestic monastery and, a, and about rituals, or even better, pick up his book, Domestic Monastery. You could probably read the book in the same time you could listen to the podcast. So just go read the book. And the rituals that we, the, the regularity of, of worship, one of the reasons that's so powerful in the Christian life is because it frees us from having to like make the choice anew and feel it, right? You don't, if you just go to church every Sunday, because that's you just that's the r- ritual you do that, and you get up every Sunday, you go to church, and it doesn't matter whether you feel like you want to go or not. There's a great freedom in that regularity because now it's not I need to practice faith. You just you are practicing faith by going to church every Sunday, whether you feel it or not, and the feelings come and go precisely because of that. You, there will be times when you notice, ah. Oh, God is so good. He doesn't care how I show up. I can sh- I show up every Sunday and some days I hate being here and some days I love it and he doesn't he is so happy in both times. <laughs> that realization will come, you know, but you don't have to have that realization first. You don't have to be like God is happy every time so I should go. That's one thing. The second one would be the analogy I was thinking of, it's like choosing to jog as a point of exercise and playing a sport in which you run. It is so much easier to exercise when you're playing a game that you enjoy. It doesn't matter how much you run. You know, for me, when I was younger, I loved playing Ultimate Frisbee. And you could get me to run for an hour solid if we were playing a game of Ultimate Frisbee. Ask me to run 10 minutes down the road just to run, and I was like, heck no. You know, <laughs> I, could, I never have been able to do that. Going for a walk... So now I go for walks because I'm getting old, but... Going for a walk to go for a walk. Leave and I, when we're in the mode, when we're in that ritual, go for walks together and we end up talking. That I can do. So anyway, the, the analogy is this. It's like, how do we practice attending to God's goodness in our life? Back to what we were saying. Yes, I, th- I think there is a place for conscious choice of I am going to do this now. But I think there's great freedom in it being built into rituals and habits of our life that are, we just do it. Yeah. And also, I don't have to have a great insight before I do it. I don't have to choose to do it. And over time, that actually does become more and more and more habitual. Mm-hmm. Strikes me too, and we should, you know, this might be a kind of moving towards the end, but strikes me too. It's encourage the brothers with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. My job to you might be at times to come with you to a, with a song, with a hymn, you know, like meaning that it's doesn't have to be quite so. I must. Sorry. Long, yeah. long-winded way of saying that. Yeah. What I'm hearing in, in that is that 
God is the doer. God is the agent of hope and change there. And that oftentimes it's happening and we don't realize it. Mm -hmm. And if some way we could just accept, embrace that fact that, you know, God is at work currently, I don't need to make it happen. Yeah. That's the job of all the other Christians in our lives. Remind us, show us, (laughs) help us attend, point our attention to. Honestly, so much of spiritual direction is just that. So much of what I do in the spiritual direction session is just to be like, did you notice that God is? Did you notice that you're you're attending to, you know, oh, I am, aren't I? Yep. And that's so encouraging. <laughs> yeah, listeners, thank you for thank you for joining us on the back porch today for this free association episode. Yet yeah, please do send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear your reactions to this or any of our other episodes. We'd love to hear uh, ideas for future episodes, as we mentioned. So you can send those to podcast at signpostin.org. And for now, may the grace of Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Signpost In, a nonprofit Christian ministry dedicated to helping people connect with God and find direction. We offer spiritual direction, retreats, and lots of other resources like this podcast. Please visit us at signpostin.org to learn more. We especially want to thank our generous donors who support our work and keep this podcast going. If you've benefited from something you've heard on this show, please consider supporting us by making a tax-deductible gift at signpostin.org donate. That's signpostin.org donate. And thank you 